sorts of tea about what's going on inside Washington, D.C., what regulators and lawmakers are thinking and working on, and what your credit union should be focused on in terms of risk areas and areas of opportunity. My name is Ann Petros, your host and Vice President of Regulatory Affairs here at NAFQ, and today I am joined by Mark Trichel, former Executive Director at NCUA and uh, and an examiner who now assists credit unions with the NCUA exam process. And Mark is an expert on all things NCUA, so we're glad to have him on the show today um, to talk about a topic that is a focus area for every credit union, and that's examinations. And, you know, exams should be the focus area for for every institution because, you know, compliance with laws and regulations is important for a successful organization um, and, you know, ensuring your institution can grow. So let's dive into some exam topics. And again, thank you for, for being here with us, Mark. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be able to speak with your audience and speak with you about what's going on at NCUA exam-wise and maybe other. All right, excellent. So what are some you know, recent trends that you have noticed about NCUA exams? So um, one of the ways to kind of talk through that would be looking at CAMEL. I mean, everybody wants mm-hmm. to get their CAMEL, score, CAMEL grade, CAMEL score when, when the exam's over. But under capital, under the gap equity that's, um, that is now on the FPRs, uh, you've got their, their net worth, which is what drives their real capital. But in the uh, environment that we're in right now, with rates having gone up, uh, investments are underwater. So mm-hmm. the gap equity will take that into consideration. So there's a lot of credit unions that, uh, for no fault of their own, went out and they, they have a big investment portfolio. And just with where rates have gone, anything that anybody has bought is worth a little bit less than it was when they bought it. That's right. So that creates some challenges. Um, and while they'll be, their CAMEL scores will be graded by their net worth, the gap can play into different things, like the Federal Home Loan Bank will look at that. It can impact uh, mergers uh, because, that, because of how that would have to be accounted for. Uh, also, NCOA uh, had the new uh, uh, capital regulation. Uh, they've had the new sub-debt mm-hmm. rule. Uh, so that's been a hot topic, a good hot topic in that uh, NCOA uh, is approving more and more uh, secondary capital or sub-debt. I think the ESIP program helped. That that was, you know, like right. a, so, there was so much volume there. That was such a tremendous opportunity that uh, NCOA approved most of those. A lot of credit unions got a low cost capital there, but it also got them more used to reviewing these uh, packages for credit unions that want, that are uh, eligible for, for uh, secondary capital. So asset quality, the, the challenge is on the investment portfolio. Credit unions reached a little bit longer to get a little bit let, better yield. And then uh, with the way inflation took off, the Fed's trying to control Inflation and that's mm-hmm. impacting uh, the the value of that portfolio uh, quite deeply, which also can create some liquidity challenges because if they're they're uh, accounting for those and hold the maturity in order to not have to book those so that it becomes part of their net worth, they have to have the ability to hold. So you throw into that the fact that share growth in the last quarter was marginal, as maybe forty basis points mm-hmm. in total. 
Not what we were seeing during the pandemic. Not Exactly. Not what we were seeing uh, during the pandemic. A lot of places had what came in in the pandemic roll out and more. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's collectively 40 basis points, that means there's several credit unions that actually had had shares go down because of inflation, because of people potentially having lost their job. But so that so so on one side, you've got investments that you need to hold. And on the other side, you have the liquidity going out. Uh, and that can create, you know, cha- challenges in, in, in earnings if you have to slow down your loan production because you don't have uh, the ability to, to fund those loans. So that's that that's on the asset quality. That's on the earnings side. On the management side, um, cybersecurity. If you if I know you've chatted with all the three board members, but whenever I hear an NCUA board member heard what keeps you up at night, it's cybersecurity, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, management is challenged in exams to make sure that they have those systems in place, which can be expensive. Um, also, uh, the way NCUA approached their um, their priority letter this year, there's 11 priorities, which is a pretty big increase from the last two years. And um, while they don't require enterprise risk management because they're adding more and more priorities, they're kind of, in my opinion, indirectly requiring Suggesting enterprise that. risk management, <laughs> yeah. which is a, it's a great, NCUA has a enterprise risk management uh, a program. It's something I started before I left at NCUA. And it's a good thing to have. And if exa- if credit unions have that, uh, larger credit unions in particular, you can debate right. what's large. It's good for credit unions to do that if they can afford to do it. And NCUA looks very positively on that. But it's been kind of my observation that while they don't they don't require it. Uh, there's so many priorities that it, you might as well have an enterprise risk management um, mm-hmm. uh, a program. And then uh, corporate governance is really big. Uh, it's you know it's 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 mandatory at the ones credit unions to have strong corporate governance. If, even those credit unions that hit you know hit the the levels below that and below that, you're just seeing it trickle in more and more as a uh, as something that NCUA will hit. Uh, hit pretty hard on the credit union if there's things that management at the credit union is doing that maybe the board should have been more aware of. And then NCUA will take that opportunity to point out that uh, you need to have good corporate governance in place, good policies in place to, to make sure that the board is aware of what's going on. You know, right. there's there's what's required under the regulation for the board to be involved in, and there's what maybe they should, maybe they want to be involved with, mm-hmm. and then there's what management wants to be involved with, and all that kind of works into good corporate governance. Uh, liquidity, though, I mentioned liquidity. I'm hearing a lot of chatter around that recently from my clients and from, you know, potential clients. Definitely. And, uh, and through, I've, I've, one of the things I'm doing um, as part of um, my consulting is when other NCUA folks retire, I, I had the advantage of moving all over the country and, and serving in a lot of different jobs. And so I, I know a lot of good people at NCUA or good people who left NCUA. But I approached them if they have a discipline. If I enjoyed working with with them at NCUA and they were really talented and they had some skill sets that I thought would help credit unions, I'm connecting with them and they're helping me help my clients. And so they're hearing different things out there on the liquidity front that that seems like things are tightening up both both from an exam perspective, uh, federal home loan bank perspective, mm-hmm. and, and and the like. So I think I think that's going to be big in 2023 as well. Uh, and and I would say just a general statement. Um, so one of the so when I was at NCUA, we you know I'd go to a NAFQ meeting or I'd go to a CUNA meeting or a league meeting, 
and the representatives would come up and say, hey, you know, so there's a, an issue in this one part of the country and someone's kind of being a little overzealous and examiners being a little overzealous and and we, you know, what can you do about it? And we would always say, hey, we need specifics. If, you know, we have a zero, mm -hmm. zero, zero tolerance on reprisals, zero tolerance on, uh, on overstepping bounds and all that. But there would be a reluctance, to, you know, for the names to come forward because they were afraid of that, of retaliation. Right. Um, and so I would hear that. But our only response could be if we don't have specifics, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And so now that I've changed teams and I'm on the other side and I hear... Um, I hear more about that, but I also hear it from a perspective um, where it's not actually the retaliation side of it. It's a, every time NCUA has a conversation and says, I think you should do X, you know, whether it's a document resolution or, or examiner finding something that might actually go into the report, there's this dialogue where there's, you know, they may be referencing best practices or have you considered doing this? And so every time a CEO or a staff member at a credit union has to hear that, they're kind of at a fork in the road. And one of my clients said it better than I could. He said, you have to decide if you're gonna go along to get along. Mm -hmm. And and so you have the situation where NCUA could give you five things that you wanna do and you might wanna do three, you know, slam dunk. It's like, this is these are great ideas, I'm gonna implement them. The other two, you might say, one of those is too expensive. I think it's a little overzealous. And I don't want to do it. And you may have, you may choose to have a dialogue with them on it or not, or because they're in that regulatory role. I think in some instances, credit unions feel like there's a little bit of pressure to accept what's in the report and what's being re recommended. So I've, that's, that's been eye opening for me to realize, um, you know, it's not retaliation. It's not overstepping. It's, it's the two sides trying to work together, but there is this, this, uh, a little bit of a pressure on the staff to say, okay, well, how might NCUA respond if I, push back on this, right? So. Yeah, we, we certainly hear that a lot from our members. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I guess, heartening to, <laughs> to <laughs> see real. that you're right. Yeah, uh, it real. is happening. Um, and so you mentioned the federal home loan banks. I'm assuming that you're referring to this net tangible equity yes. issue, yes. Um, which we've been hearing from some members about as well. Uh, and, and really, it's a federal um, uh, federal housing finance agency rulemaking that uh, sort of makes this difficult and puts the onus on the NCUA to issue a waiver right. in instances where credit union capital may not be at the level that it should be under the rule. Um, but considering the unique economic circumstances that we're in, you know, what what do you think the NCUA should do? here. And I, as far as I understand it, this has never actually come to pass, but could. <laughs> it hasn't come to pass recently. There have been maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there were some situations where NCOA was asked to accept it. Uh, and back then when they did accept it, they would, they would put some restrictions in place. So it was, if you're going to do this, you might have to curtail doing A, B, and C. Okay. Uh, you might need to add you know, some staff to do one particular thing there. It's, it's usually not a uh, NCUA will just say, boom. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's all right. Mm -hmm. um, but in the same token, if you get down to that, that if it, if it's approaching negative tangible net equity, which it, it, the other, other, as an aside there, you could have goodwill from mergers and different things. So it's not just the investments. If you had a lot of mergers and the goodwill plays into that. So it, it that's probably what's tricking or, mm -hmm. or tripping the wire that's pushing people into that 
NCOA will look at what's making that up too. And that, you know, they also have an understanding of how they've, op how cooperative and what kind of working relationship they've had with that particular credit union too. Mm -hmm. So there's that relationship um, that can come into play. And if you've got a lot of goodwill with NCOA because of the history that you've had with them, that could bode well. I have also heard uh, quite recently that, that um, at least one of the federal home loan bank areas has started something where they've, they've actually put some institutions on a watch list if their gap equity is less than half of their total equity. Oh. And now what watch list, you know, you, you, you double secret probation, right. you know, what, you know, what <laughs> exactly does that mean? Um, but they've alerted some institutions to that, uh, mm -hmm. to that effect. So, and that's short of the, the tangible ne uh, negative net equity. So maybe that's just, they're creating a list so that they can start watching these, these folks, um, to see if there's any changes in any, in any authorizations. Sure, I will say, sure. you know, in my experience, federal home loan bank has always been, you know, very cooperative with credit unions. It was always someone that my team and I always would like, like to work with. Uh, when credit unions started having some challenges, like you said, it's something they have to do. It's in the law. So um, they, they, they tend to be very reasonable in working with credit unions as they get up to that point. So, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And some, some credit unions have also expressed concerns about the NCUA's, you know, recent guidance on the net economic value supervisory test um, and, you know, that the additional flexibility regarding interest rate risk really doesn't go far enough. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on the guidance considering where we're at economically and the pressures that credit unions are facing with respect to liquidity and interest rate risk? So I'm not, I'm not, I like the, the NEV test and I hate the NEV test <laughs> at the same time. Um, it, it, it's kind of a rough justice approach where, but by putting it in place, NCUA had a standard way that they could look at everybody comparable, right? Because they like to do a statistical analysis and say, okay, who are the outliers? And if we, yeah. if we value um, uh, core shares at this and we lock everybody into this, because that's kind of the biggest driver, that's the assumption that can really change the data. Uh, if we lock that number up and shock the rest of the balance sheet, um, we can see who may have the biggest potential problems and where we may need to spend a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. Now, the one good thing they did with the, uh, with the changes was anybody who became extreme risk had to get a document resolution under the old rules. Right. And so I'd heard anecdotally that most capital market specialists who, uh, for, for, you know, month after month, when things start, when rates started going up, when all the assignments that the capital market specialists were getting was going into places that it hit extreme and they were having to work out a document resolution on a plan that would help get them out of extreme when there really wasn't any unsafe and unsound things in place. And one, mm -hmm. one of the other challenges with NEV is it, it locks, it locks that down, you know, to the, to, to, to one variable on the, on the core shares and it shocks everything else. And then once it's all shocked 300 basis points and rates go up, it anticipates that it's going to do that again. And how likely is that? So it kind of double penalizes you. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't give you credit for if you have really good capital. It doesn't give you credit if you have very low uh, expense and if you have you know stellar uh, asset quality. So it's really, it focuses on one thing, which is why I kind of call it kind of a rough justice. It was good that they got away from requiring a, a document resolution. 
which pushes pushes it back into the arena where virtually everything else is, which is examiner judgment, which right. which is better than an automatic door. I mean, you can you can still run into some challenges there if you don't agree with the examiner's judgment, but it's a it's a better place for it to be. And the and and many of the staff at NCUA didn't really want to issue the door. They were kind of painted into a, kind of like the 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 reg mm -hmm. on the negative tangible net equity, right? Here's the right. rule. Your I hands have, are sort of tied. I have to mm -hmm. follow it. So taking that off of the requirement for the examiners was was a really good thing. Now, if you go back and listen to the public uh, hour-long uh, webinar that NCUA did when they did it, they also uh, released their uh, their scope workbook. And it they may have touched on it there, but their scope workbook expanded. So while they took away here, they actually added exam steps in the scope workbook. So, mm -hmm. the, so the... So the belief that maybe they didn't do enough, they actually added some things, which it doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it's because of the environment they're in. And I think some of the things they learned, they added some steps there. So credit unions can maybe expect expect some new questions and a, and a, and a little bit more there. Uh, but I will say, even the plans that, um, that were having to be submitted, generally speaking, NCOA was being very reasonable as far as not making credit unions take draconian steps uh, so that they couldn't properly serve their members. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've heard from from some members concerns about, you know, not giving enough weight to like non-maturity deposits and, right. and things like that. And just, you know, how this is going to um, apply to, to CAMEL scores and any any thoughts there? <laughs> <laughs> well, um so every quarter, NCUA does their share insurance briefing, mm -hmm. and I like that briefing because they put up the trends in CAMEL. They have two charts in there where they talk about what's going on in, in uh, the trends in, in CAMEL, and they're at all-time lows. There's nowhere for them to go but up. There, there's no, uh, the, at the last one, there were no, there's no code four or code five credit unions over a billion dollars, which is good for credit unions and it's good for the insurance fund. There were maybe 12 credit unions over a billion dollars that are a code three. And, and that number I know is going to start slipping partially because mm -hmm. of what's going on in liquidity and net economic value. It can impact their camel codes. If it's going from a one to a two, I mean, most people are comfortable being a one or a two. Right. Uh, it's when you slip into a three, it can get onerous because NCUA is going to be showing up twice as much at least. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the cost ramifications of NCUA being there and the, the care and feeding of an exam and, and having to get all the documents ready twice. It's a lot of resources. It's, it's a, it's and, a, it is a, re a big regulatory problem. Right. So that, you know, stay on the side of a two is, is really where you want to be. But I would, you know, I, I think if you've got a good plan, if you've got reasonable cal capital and your, your NEV is less than stellar, there are, ways you can explain to NCUA that it is safe and sound. And I've seen, I've seen, I've seen extreme rated credit unions get very good camel codes. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. it, it really, um, comes down to what the facts are individually mm -hmm. and the ability to communicate that well, you know, to the examiner, but the examiners seem relatively open to have that dialogue in the cases I've seen. Yeah, that that's good to hear. So, I mean, a credit union could demonstrate that their own internal modeling and, and analysis shows a paints a different picture yes, than, than yes. what the examiners are thinking. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, the, again, 
NEV is rough justice. It's what they have to use to try and just compare everybody to everything. But a good model that you that a credit union has done that shows that they've mitigated the risk. If you've got a capital market specialist in there looking at it, they're going to prefer to look at your model to see what you understand because that's tailored to your institution. It's tailored yeah. to your institution, and again, the staff knows what NEV's limitations are. Right. So, um, so I would push back on that about my own particular plan, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and if you're having to put a plan together to reduce your risk from high or lower to high, um, um, don't don't paint yourself into a corner by saying, I'm going to do 10 things when you really should only want to do three. And those three might be enough. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good advice. Um, how did the shift to, to virtual examinations during the pandemic, um, you know, affect NCUA's ability to oversee credit unions? Obviously that's not something that had ever really been done before. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the pandemic changed a lot and there was really no choice, but to, to start, you know, relying on virtual examinations. Um, so, you know, how did it affect their ability to oversee credit unions? And do you think that examiners focus areas have changed at all? So, you know, that's, <clears throat> that's one of the silver linings of, of the pandemic is everybody realizes there's more things that can be done offsite. Before, before the pandemic, I, I believe it was Keith Morton in his region, we did some piloting of trying to do more and more offsite right. things and mm-hmm. steps, right? And, and it was interesting because um, we with NCUA having a union and the things that you have there. So doing that pilot, there were certain examiners who were like, no, I got to go on site. You know, I'm going to go on site. I don't want to be part of the pilot. And I, you know, I need to be there. I want to go there. And there were others who were more open to having the appetite to trying to do some things mm-hmm. offsite. So we, the NCUA started to gather some steps that could be done mm-hmm. offsite. Then the pandemic hit and, you know, shattered the, shattered the exam process and everything had to be done offsite, which I think taught NCUA that, you know, pick a number, is it 20 or 40 or 60% of the things that we thought had to be done on site really don't have to be on site. And so I think they're going to fully embrace that so that they can have less travel time, better quality of life, examiner turnover because of travel. When one thing NCUA does is when, when the examiner's quit, they have a voluntary, you know, why are you leaving? Travel and quality of life mm-hmm. was was always number one. So if they can keep their people at home, it's better for them because they'll stay around longer and it's better for the credit unions potentially if some consistency, if you don't, right? Exactly. Examiner. Exactly. The consistency of the examiner and um, you know, not not having, you know, to have, you know, four offices for NCUA on a per, you know, for two or three weeks and, and not having them on site. Now the, the focus, I will say from, from my clients, generally speaking, everybody was supportive. I mean, just the world, the play, where we were at in the world, everybody's like, yeah, we realize you need to do it this way. I will say that in general, it appeared like NCOA was asking for more documentation. So if, if it was on site and they asked for three feet of documents, it, uh, now they're asking for four or five. Mm-hmm. And um, so the burden of getting those ready, the burden of burden of turning those into electronic f- files, 
the challenge of them learning, you know, how to look at those electronically. I mean, when I started as an examiner, I had to look at some loans on microfiche, right? And I'd always, <laughs> oh, wow. I always, I always liked the hard files because, because, yeah. because you, I mean, you, it wasn't fun, right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of that that's happened. And I think it also then created some elongation in, in exam time. So maybe there's been, it takes, you know, I don't yeah. know, pick a number. We were hearing that at the, yeah. at the beginning, definitely. And that there were sometimes duplicative requests for documentation. Right. And, yeah. and I think it was just communication breakdown, right. you know, yeah. and, um, and it, among examiners. Yes. And the, yeah, the communication, I think every which way the communication is, is more challenging. So it's taking a little bit longer. And I mean, it's, it's like, you know, should you have, should NCUA have all their staff back in the building or can half, you know, could you only have to be in halftime, not even talking about an exam, but I, I always right. enjoyed if I, if I was on the seventh floor, walking down to the third floor to go to HR to ask some something. And I ran into somebody from, um, E&I along the way, it's, I saw him. It's like, Oh, I, that, that reminds me, I need to ask you X, mm -hmm. right? So you lose that a little bit of, of that ability to communicate kind of impromptu. And I think the same thing happens in the exam at the end, you know, examiners are packing up, they, they stop by and see the CEO or they stop by and see the CFO and can ask a couple things. Something may come up just right. spur of the moment. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing is if it's, if I have to do it all by email, it, you know, that you can spend an hour and a half writing an email that you might've been able to just have a five minute conversation. And then that email can be misinterpreted. On, exactly. Well, what, Things can get lost exactly, in translation. <laughs> yeah. Give me everything on X, right? What, well, right. so what did that mean? Right. But all of this is, it's kind of a grand experiment to how do they get to, you know, to, to the new state, whatever that might be, mm -hmm. when they can decide what has to be done on site and off site. Right. Well, you know, NAPQ has been advocating for a hybrid exam posture. I mean, we think that that is the best path forward because we've heard from our members that there are certainly a lot of efficiencies and benefits to the virtual process. But like you were saying, it is really nice to have that on-site presence, just not for the entire time. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so... I've, we've gotten a bit of um, the perception that the NCUA is maybe a little unwilling to move in that direction or commit to that fully. Why do you think that that might be? Well, once they commit, it's hard to uncommit, right? Right. I mean, it, it's kind of like when, when- There's no going back. There's <laughs> no going back. Um, it's, it's like when NCUA started doing budget briefings or hearings the first time 20 years ago. And I, I asked Glenn Skiles at the time, I said, so you when, you know, once you do this, you got to do it forever. Oh, there is no and, going back. We, <laughs> you know, and, and so, and then the other thing is there, I guess there are no absolutes, right? So mm -hmm. once they commit that, okay, we're going to do, we won't spend more than half our time. There may be situations where they need to spend more than half their time, or we will only do these five steps on site and these other ones we'll try and do off site inevitably there's going to be some situations where it makes sense for them to have to be on site and particularly the smaller the credit union is the the there's a value to being there both from a consulting perspective but also from a you know the trust but verify there's the there is there is a psychological um benefit to the exam actually having some element of being on site because of it's it's like the 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 cities that will leave an empty police car you know on a road right what do you do when you see that you mm -hmm. slow down mm -hmm. um when you when you uh have i use ways for my gps when it says police reported ahead 
Right. I look at I look at my speedometer and I slow down. So it reminds you, mm-hmm. and it, it that that you're there, and it, it. So there there is just an intrinsic value to some part of the exam being on site, which Absolutely. is why I think, amplifies the the pressure of the, exactly, the situation. Exactly, mm-hmm. but you know I think they they're they're never going to go back to the way they did it before. Um, there's the budget pressure for the travel costs, which are going up and up and up. So will there be a, I think, I think they've committed to doing somewhat virtual on nearly everything that they can, but will there be a policy statement on it saying that they're doing it? Right. Um, I might, if I was there, I might shy away from doing that at least until I had more data. That's fair. Yeah. So let's talk about another, you know, recent change in the examination process, and that's the deployment of merit. Um, so has the implementation of merit, in your opinion, been successful so far? And how do you think it's changed the way examiners are interacting with credit union staff, especially in the virtual environment? So I think it's a, a net positive um, from what I've heard. I, the the So it, it Aries needed to go away because it was built on legacy, system. yeah, yeah, legacy systems that hadn't been supported in, you know, five, 10, pick a number years. Right. So it needed to change. It was a legacy debt that needed to be um, fixed. But um, the two biggest positives that, that I've heard is uh, one from the credit union side. If I have a document resolution and it has five items on it and, you know, Fix your, fix your commercial lending policy, do this on BSA and some, you know, third investment policy change or something. Under ARIES, there was no way in the system for NCOA to say, okay, the commercial loan policy is fixed, right? They now, the way they've built that, if they go in and they do a follow-up exam, they can actually log off that, okay, this is fixed and it's resolved. So there are no longer three issues here. There's mm-hmm. two issues here, and it's much better tracking internally. It's sort of a running log. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of a lot of the things that were in Word document type things that really couldn't be tracked in mm-hmm. Aries can be tracked internally by NCUA, which actually helps the ability to be offsite too. Because if they if they can have better systems and better data, then they can ask more precise questions and, may, and perhaps not need to be on site. The other other big advantage is that if you have a team exam and you have three examiners working on uh, loan exceptions and you have someone else working on something else, there's better collaboration behind the scenes so that that the examiner in charge can see what examiner A, B, and C did that day and it, and it flows in better. And that's a big help on the NCUA side of managing the exam process, which ultimately makes it makes it more efficient. Now, you know, the goal was that that would have been launched before I retired two and a half years. And then the pan- it, it got slowed down a little bit, which, you know, what somebody said, IT projects always cost more and take longer. <laughs> and, and that was true. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pandemic slowed it down and they needed to get their staff trained. Um, but I think all in all, it's a, it's a net positive uh, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen what the, the most recent, um, you know, budget that there's a significant increase in, in costs to, to merit. And it's understandable because, you know, some of it is, is difficult to, to project out and, and estimate. Um, and I think that's just, like you said, sort of the nature of anything IT and cybersecurity yes, yes. related. 
Um, but it is a little, you know, concerning because obviously that's all credit union dollars. It's, it's credit union dollars. It's, it's, it, but it's not going to, it's not going to go away. And it's, what is it? O&M. I can't even remember what O&M, but it's the maintenance of the mm-hmm. operations and maintenance maybe that, you know, once you build it, there's a certain percentage that to keep it up and running and to keep it. Sure keep it moving and to potentially add things. I know there are, I, I couldn't Additional remember. features, upgrades. Yeah, additional features. Like it's built, it's built to do that. You know, they built it, they built it to handle the S and camels. So right, they knew right. that was coming so that, you know, under the old system, there was no way of tracking mm-hmm. the S. So. Yeah. Have you seen any downsides to the implementation of Merit? I don't, I don't think there's any downsides. I think you could say, you know, it, it, it cost a decent amount of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but I think, I think that was a sunk cost. I think that was a fixed cost mm-hmm. and could have, could have they done a, you know, a little bit different here and a little bit different there and, and saved a little bit of money perhaps. But I think in the end it does what they set it out to do. And I think mm-hmm. it will do more down the road from some of the things I've heard them. The saying. benefits so, will hopefully yeah. outweigh the costs yep. and to the future. So, um, you know, bigger picture question, how well does the NCUA do at, accurately communicating exam trends and priorities to credit unions. Now that you're on the other side of this, do you think that more clarity might be needed on, uh, on some of the, uh, the guidance and, um, you know, priorities that come out of the agency? Well, I think you could always have more clarity. So let me say that I will say, you know, Todd, the chairman, Todd Harper was, um, in charge of public and congressional affairs. He's that's right. He's mm-hmm. a very good communicator. So I think he's brought some things in play that that has NCUA perhaps taking some additional steps and, and making sure that there's a little bit more clarity in some of the things that come out. I will say, um, you know, one of the things when I when I talk to clients or potential clients, one of my clients called me the the NCUA interpreter. And and so there are situations where, you know, I have someone explaining an exam report to me and it says something in the English language that that's very clear what it means in the English language mm-hmm. and the credit union thinks it means this, but, but I, but in my mind, I know that that's being written that way because of a certain instruction that might not be public. It's just kind of the inner workings of different things that it's like, well, okay, they said that, that means sure. their next step is going to be this and, and you might need to think of this. And I don't know how um, necessarily that could be communicated better. I know one of the, one of the biggest challenges that, that I saw and is, so the, you, the board sets the policy and what they want to do, right? And the executive director's job is to make sure that staff implement that. Mm-hmm. Everybody with all good intent and goodwill wants that to work its way down. And, but it, it's kind of like the game of telephone. If, if it's issued here and then the executive director talks to the regional directors and says, okay, this is out there. You need to start doing it. You know, let me know how, how it goes. And the regional director goes, talks to the associate regional directors who go talk to the supervisory examiner Things by the time the examiner lost, gets to it. Or, yeah. And then the examiner looks at it and says, well, I only have five hours of office time to read all my mail. Maybe I didn't read that one by the time I went in mm-hmm. and did the exam. So that's just a huge, you know, challenge that I know that NCUA has done you know, we did court, we would do quarterly webinars internally. Uh, Debbie Matt started that. And, and uh, as a chairman webinar, I took it over and then uh, different board members mm-hmm. have done it internally. So I, they're doing more to try and do communications, but you know, you can never, you can never do too much, I think. And um, in, in the other challenges in 
government ease sometimes you think you're being clear and then you and you and you might not and the other piece is you might be clear but there might be an unintended consequence that you hadn't really thought of that once you get it it's kind of it, i guess a good example of that would be if you're extreme you're going to get a document resolution right, right? right that sat there as a policy from 2016 and it never came up until rates went up this year mm -hmm. and then you know, NAFCU raised it, credit unions were raising it. Mm -hmm. I was talking to NCUA mm -hmm. behind the scenes. And it was, I mean, that was, that was a very good example of, of, um, of the collaborative nature of, of trade groups and credit unions reaching out and say, Hey, this Certainly. is broken. And, the, right. and how NCUA responded to that, which was communicate, it was communication and it clarified yeah. that communication. So I, you know, I think the, the intent is good. It's just always, always such a challenge. Uh, That's to, fair. I mean, well-intended policies that are put in place to, you know, protect the share insurance fund right, right. may end up, you know, being, being too harsh and, and sort of blanket solutions right. when you really need a more tailored approach that's understanding exactly. of, of different circumstances. You know, and even, even like the, the, um, the regulations. I, I kind of look at regulations as a as a three act play. You have the you have the proposal and the preamble, and then you have the final rule and the preamble. But if you don't read the preambles to the rule, where the board explains why they're doing particular things, oftentimes the clarity is actually in the preamble uh, mm -hmm. or the two preambles. And you know, all NCUA staff members might might not always read all that as they're deciding it. Cause if you look at the, at the regulation over here, that's in black and white, they're saying, no, it's gotta be this, but there are subtle nuances that are explained in the preamble. Right. Yeah. Well, my, uh, my team and I here at NAFCU live in the, in the preambles in the preamble. of, of yep. <laughs> the rulemaking process. <laughs> yep. So, uh, we certainly appreciate the, the value of, of rationale and, and explanations provided there. Um, so let's, you know, close out with a sort of forward looking question. If you could look into your crystal ball, um, you know, what should credit unions expect in terms of supervisory priorities for the new year? So, Let's look at, so let's do two things. I'll talk about what's in place right now. I've, I'm going to look at my, my cheat sheet here uh, because they do have 11 priorities. It's a lot to there. keep track of. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. And I, I talk about this a lot uh, when I go out and chat with credit unions, but I kind of break their priorities into three categories. There's perpetual priorities, there's occasional priorities, and there's new priorities. Mm -hmm. So this last letter, which came out, had... Uh, three new priorities, which were payment systems, which was number three, uh, capital, which was number five, and loan participations, which was number eight. Now, payment systems, uh, fintech. Everybody not, loves not surprising fintech. fintech. Everybody there. wants mm -hmm. fintech. Everybody, you've got all these different systems that are interrelating with credit union systems. Credit unions need to be, embrace this because it's the future. But I think NCUA wants to try and understand what that might mean for the risks of cyber, what it might mean for the risks of, of other problems that could, you know, with all these systems. It's been a huge spike in fraud. Right. And they don't know and they don't know what they don't know. So they added uh, regional uh, payment system specialists this last year. I believe they've got some of them hired now. So that's something 
that while it's out there communicated in a priority, I don't think credit unions really had to deal with it because they didn't have the staff, but they're starting to get the staff. So that could be something you'd see in 2023. Mm -hmm. Capital, we talked a little bit about that. They had it on there because of the new risk-based capital rule, uh, the leverage ratio counting for complex credit unions. That's why they put that on there. Right. Loan participations were growing through the roof. And so that was something they knew they wanted to take a look at. And, and I would say they have been taking a, a close look at that. The perpetual uh, credit risk, so credit risk management was number one. That's always going to be on there. I would say they probably put it at number one because, which it was number one the year before. They probably put it there because of the fear of what's going to come out of the pandemic and job losses in the economy. Now, asset quality is very strong. The delinquency is very low, so that hasn't been an issue. Mm -hmm. But they did look at they did change their priority letter um, to cover every specific type of loan and having kind of an exhaustive plan on those, which usually they would either say do it for commercial loans or do it for real estate. They they really kind of went all in on that one. Um, cyber, you know, cyber will always be on there. Bank Secrecy Act, they are adding four or five or six. They've proposed adding four or five or six positions uh, to uh, the Office of Examination and Insurance, creating a specialist in the region's for Bank Secrecy Act, mm -hmm. now you could take this one of two ways that that's a first step towards them maybe having more exam steps on it, or you could view it as they want a career ladder for the people who are good in that so that they have a specialty that they can mm -hmm. get promoted to and raise the bar. Because credit unions tend to like working with the specialists, so it, it's a good thing. And I think it's more that it's probably a career path than it being you know a, a land grab on, on a bigger footprint on mm -hmm. the exam cycle also you know not a surprising um you know area to see more focus when you think about uh what's happened with crypto and and yeah. you know the rise in, in digital assets and um that poses some bsa it, ml concerns it certainly. sure does yeah boy this has been an inter interesting year in crypto I'm, I'm i'm recording a podcast uh tomorrow with someone on on what happened on ftx and what that might mean for blockchain and Oh, yes, that. the fallout. Way, I'm going to take that as a plug for my, so my pod, I've got a podcast, it's called With Flying Colors. Um, the, the title comes from uh, trying, having content that will try and assist credit unions to pass their exam with flying colors. And I interview different, uh, different folks around the industry, but I also interview my specialists that work for me on, on particular hot topics, mm -hmm. which gets me to probably what I think maybe the biggest priority might be for this year. I did uh, a two-part podcast with uh, a, a person on my team, Todd Miller, who was a capital market specialist and a director of special actions on how we find ourselves in the liquidity situation we're in, in now. And then the second one has a lot of meaty recommendations on what credit unions might want to do if they find themselves any, anywhere on the liquidity spectrum. Todd kind of shared a lot of wisdom on, on things along those lines. But I, I'm, I believe the liquidity tied to the net economic value challenges mm -hmm. and with with inflation where it's at, uh, with with unemployment potentially going up, with share growth going away, or there's this there's this new uh, kind of groundswell of that being a potential challenge. And uh, in 
liquidity, liquidity is kind of like breathing. You, you think you're okay on it and you can, you, it's like your body just does it and you don't even think about it. Right. But when, when you're short of oxygen or you're, for, you're short of liquid funds, you notice real quick and every decision, becomes dire every yeah. situation that you have to make is related to that. And then mm-hmm. everything kind of becomes interrelated. So I think they're going to hit that hard, which, so, so the, the interesting piece of the priority letter, what I always tried to do when I was there is if you're going to have 11 priorities, you should put the most important one first and the mm. least important one 11th. Now, they may or may not do that, but it's a general way to approach, you know, the structure of a of a letter. The 11th priority was liquidity and interest rate risk. So hmm. they had credit risk number one, which is where they thought things might need to be focused. Right. They had liquidity and interest rate risk on there, but they actually had them flip-flopped on what happened because of, you know, trying to control um, cr- trying to control in- inflation and, and driving rates up. So it's put credit unions and banks uh, in, in a quite interesting um, situation right now. So I think they'll be hitting that pretty hard. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I think you're probably right on that. Um, all right. Well, that does it for our discussion of examinations on this episode. And thank you, Mark, so much um, for joining me. And if you enjoy watching it, watching or listening to The Cup, please subscribe to our podcast, um, hit the notifications icon so you get alerted of new episodes or hit the like button um, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. We'd also love to hear from you on uh, new topics that you'd like us to discuss on this episode, on the next episode of The Cup. So uh, with that... Thank you again, Mark, and for our viewers and listeners. Until next time.